All right, James chapter number five. We'll read uh, one. Actually, let me read. Uh, we read one verse of scripture tonight. We'll pray and uh, try to bring you the message. James chapter number five and verse number seven, where we left off this morning. The Bible reads, "Be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord." Behold, the husband, husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. You can be seated. Heavenly Father, we ask you now tonight, Lord, to bring back to our remembrance the things which you have shown us and brought to our mind as we studied and prayed and sought your leadership uh, and your help in the message tonight. Father, if you don't help us, we surely will, uh, we will flop this thing, and it is not our desire to do that whatsoever. The Lord, to try to take the word of God, divide it, rightly divide it, Lord, and to uh, gain some truth out of it. We know that the word of God is truth. Lord, we don't want to say anything or do anything that's misleading tonight, but just to help us uh, Lord, a little while to take the Word of God and make application with it to our life. Maybe to be encouraged uh, tonight, we do ask. Lord, I understand that in the Word of God, the Bible does tell us to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And Lord, I understand tonight that there is a lot of things that are, uh, a lot of shall nots in the Word of God, a lot of things we need to uh, make sure we keep out of our life and beat down. But Lord, tonight, if you'd help us to uh, look at the Word of God and to maybe encourage your people this Sunday night, I would uh, thank you and praise you, give you the glory and honor for it all. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I do want to say this tonight. It's not my endeavor to beat up on anybody. I really would like to be able to encourage you tonight. And I'll be honest, as I read uh, tonight and thinking that I was going to get a great, great piece into this thing, I got hung up on uh, three words and just hovered there for most of the evening and couldn't get free from these three words. And the more I read, the more it, it began to grow and it turned into uh, a message based on three words. And so I'm going to do my best to try to, and I don't say that to make myself look scholarly. It surprised me as much as it's going to you. I promise you that. Uh, that, that, that the Lord give me what he give me out of these three words. But I, I want to try to be a help to you tonight. If the Lord would help us, if the Lord doesn't help us, then we won't be able to be a help to you. But uh, I trust that the word of God tonight will uh, be a blessing and we're looking forward to what the Lord has in store for us. Okay, now let me, let me say by way uh, of remembrance for just a, a minute, if I can, I, I was thinking about as we talked about the riches uh, in verses 1 through 6. Proverbs chapter number 30 has this to say in verse number uh, 7, 8, and 9. It said, Two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God 
in vain. Now, I do want to call your attention to the fact that Proverbs chapter number 30 uh, is not a uh, proverb uh, written of Solomon, okay? Uh, matter of fact, the only time that we hear of this particular individual in the Word of God is in Proverbs chapter number 30. And this is a proverb of Agur, all right? And uh, that is a, an unknown man in the Word of God, all right? And, uh, but it has a Hebrew, it's a Hebrew name, and a Hebrew name, uh, name has a, the Hebrew name has a meaning, all right? And it means gatherer in Hebrew. Now, we were talking about riches and gaining something and gathering in riches uh, in the, the verses of Scripture we dealt with this morning. And I began to think about that, how this uh, writer here says, Lest I be full and deny thee, and say, Who is the Lord? Well, we were de dealing with that this morning. We were dealing with how that the Lord, uh, uh, if we are not careful, we begin to look to our riches and to, to lean on our possessions and all that we've been blessed with and absolutely forget God altogether. And the writer of Proverbs 30 is making note of that very truth. Lest I be full and deny thee and say, who is the Lord? And so he's, he's asking here, remove uh, a fire from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. He said, I don't want to starve to death, but I'm not looking to have the best of everything. And I'll tell you, that's really where I stand tonight, just to be honest. I don't want to starve to death, and I'd have a long way to go before I got there. But what I'm saying is I don't want to starve to death when I'm not looking to have the best of everything. My wife and I have mentioned on more than one occasion. I, I may be totally wrong. I don't know. But I felt like at times we've talked about it. We've seen the effects that uh, people that have come into money, that money has changed people. I'm talking down to earth folk that you and I would relate to come into some money and now they're just totally different. They're not the same anymore. Their demeanor uh, is different. And I would like to think that if I had uh, come into a substantial amount of money that I'd just be the same person that I always was. I would like to think that, okay? And we may never find out tonight, but uh, that, uh, that, is, that is how I would like to perceive myself. I don't maybe do more of the same, be more of the same, but I don't think that it would... Uh, I would, would hope that it would not affect me the way that it affects some people. But he's saying here, Lord, uh, I be full, or lest I be full and deny thee and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. So he's saying, I don't want uh, to be so poor that I, that I don't feel like God's there or that God would, is there to take care of me. Now, we do know that the Lord will meet our needs. And we do know that as long as we serve the Lord and stay in the will of God, that the Lord will take care of us. That is a Bible truth. And we know that. The Bible does not say that we will have everything we desire. The Bible does not say we might have the finest of everything. But he did say that the sparrows didn't have anything to worry about. And you and I don't have either. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And when we keep him in, in his proper place, he meets our needs. So there will never be a time for the shame where you and I, if we keep the Lord first in our life, will come to the place where we uh, curse God's name or take God's name in vain because he's left us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And he will indeed meet our needs. 
And I appreciate that. And, uh, but this, this writer in Proverbs 30 here, this Agur, uh, is, is this gatherer understands the severity of what it is to have too much. And what having too much or having great excess can do to a human being as an individual. And so we dealt with these things earlier this morning in chapter number 5. And I called your attention, and I want to do it again quickly, uh, to this, uh, this epistle uh, in chapter number 1 where James says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now, you need to understand the thrust of the whole book of James, the whole epistle, is uh, contextually, it's a centralized theme of this epistle, is that of faith. From, from the first chapter to the last chapter, James is, is, is pushing this matter of faith. All right, And so as we understand that contextually within the whole entire uh, book, we understand here, and, and listen, I don't want to be one of these preachers where everybody's like, man, this preacher busts our bubble. He comes in here and he basically just tells us that life is awful and we can't have nothing and uh, it's just terrible. And that's not the truth. When, when the Bible said he came that we may have life and have it more abundantly, I want you to understand you can have an abundant, happy, joyous life in the Lord. But what you find your joy and happiness in will not be the things in which we are being warned about in chapter number 5. You find, at least I have found, and I am glad that the Lord give me the, afforded me the privilege to be around some people far my senior most of my life. When I was, uh, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, I wasn't running around with 10, 11, 12, 13-year-olds. I was running around with 50, 60, and 70-year-olds. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not, I've got a lot to learn. But I'll tell you this, I did glean something from them older men. And I appreciate that. And I did get the opportunity to witness and see the vanity in some of the things that happen in people my age group. And to be honest with you today, not to pat myself on the back, but there's still a whole lot of people, even Brother Shane's age, that's hung up in vanity today. This don't seem to get a grip on what it is. And uh, so I, I appreciate this, but, but it says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. And as we look at faith being the central theme in the book of James, there's also something else we find. There's a lot of things that tries faith in the book of James. A lot of things. And so I, I'm not here to bust your bubble or make it seem like you can't enjoy life because we understand that he can't, Jesus can't let him have life and have it more abundantly. I'll say this, though. When we change our viewpoint and start looking at the Lord Jesus Christ and glorifying and magnifying his name and getting our focus off of the worldly things and on this book and godly things, you find that you get joy from other areas. And it's a fulfilling thing. And so I want you to know tonight, I'm not here to bust your bubble because the Lord gives us a little heaven to get to heaven on. And there's some things in this life that he's given us that means more to us, should mean more, more to us than this monetary thing. See, when, when, when you began to realize that all the things that we talked about this morning that can canker, you know, the silver and the gold and the things that will be left behind when we are gone, 
you realize you cannot take those things with you. And we talked about the legacy that the rich man had and that when he lifted his eyes, he lifted his eyes in hell, his eyes in hell being in torment, but he still had the legacy of a rich man. The problem was his gold and silver was still on earth. But he was suffering having fulfilled or being known for the legacy left behind being a rich man. Brother Shane knows a gentleman that passed away and he'll always know him as a man of wealth. That's, that's just how we know him. That's how he knows him. And so here, here's what I'm trying to say to you. That legacy lives on. But we know that we can take our family with us. Wasn't it David that said, I, he, I cannot bring my son to me, but I can go to my son? David understood that nothing he could do was nothing within himself could bring his son back from death and place him in the presence of David. But David knew that one day when he died, he could be in the presence of God and his son. And so we, when we start realizing and reshaping and rethinking the way we view happiness and joy and really start putting it in, the, in, a, in biblical terms, we find that, that our family should be a, one of our most important assets. I, I love my family. I want my family to be with me in heaven. I know that my family could leave before I do or I could leave before they do. But because my family is saved by the grace of God, regardless who leaves first, there's joy in knowing that I don't have to worry about any of them, Brother Gene, being in hell. And that brings me happiness and joy. And I, I, I tell you, that's why I just here lately, I've, just, I, it's, I've been hard-pressed to be down and out, Brother Shane, just knowing what the Lord's done for us as a church just in the last little while. It's such a blessing. But I want you to know there's a little heaven uh, to get to heaven on. But here's, here's what I was thinking about concerning the book of James and understanding that James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad greeting. And he's talking to the scattered Jews that have been saved by the grace of God and are going abroad. Understanding now, please listen to me, in this time frame, Christ hasn't been gone a long time. It's been 2,000 some odd years, Brother Shane, since Christ died at Calvary. But in these, this instance, when this epistle was written, it hadn't been all that long. We're talking about people in this time that walked and talked with Christ while he was on earth. We're not talking about a lifetime that's passed here. We're talking about a matter of years, a matter of time, but, but, but not in the grand scheme of things like you and I relate to the great time that's been uh, passed from the time Christ was buried and rose again till now. That gap wasn't there like we see it or we understand it to be. And so Christ hadn't been gone all that long. And I do want you to understand when Paul wrote to the churches in the Galatian region, he said in chapter 2 and verse 9, and when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me. So Paul understands James to be that of a pillar to the church, not the foundation, not the chief cornerstone, but he was a scotch. He was a load bearer for the church. And he was instrumental in the church as it was established. You need to understand that, okay? And a pillar is a support that which sustains, a support that which sustains or upholds that on which some superstructure rests. So James had a heart 
for the church and he had a heart for these Jews. And he's wanting them to understand that, listen, you, you need to realize that you want Christ to come. You want Christ to receive you unto himself. And they desired this. They desired that. If you'll remember, uh, Paul uh, said this in uh, Philippians chapter number 1. He, said, he says here, um, let me find my place. He says, what then, in verse 18, Philippians 1.18 says, What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He says, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or death. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Now, contextually, we've been talking about gain. We've been talking about riches. We've been talking about what the carnal man is looking to have. Happiness in, in things, right? Happiness in gaining as much as he can, to have as much as he can, to lay up in store so that he can eat and be merry, right? But we find here that uh, Paul's saying, for me to live is Christ. Well, what does that mean? Well, what did Christ do while he was on, his, in, on this earth? What did he come for? Christ come to die. Now, it was Paul who understood what he was getting himself into when he went to Jerusalem. Right? They tried to get him not to go because of the things that were going to, could possibly happen to him there. But he went on anyway. And it says so in Acts 20, 17, And when we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And so what I, what I want you to understand about this, he says, for me to live is Christ. For me to live may cause some suffering. For me to live may cause me some problems and some pain and some anguish. But it says, and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. In other words, he understood he was far better off in himself, personally, to be in heaven with Christ than to be on this earth doing what he was to do. And so now a lot of people don't feel that way about this earth because a lot of people aren't doing what they're supposed to do. A lot of people's looking for the happiness and joy and what they can gain and the treasures they can lay up for themselves, not understanding that the gold and silver is tankered and the rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. They don't, they don't realize, they should, and they don't think about it, and some people choose not to think about it, that there is an end to this thing. Okay, but it says for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So Paul understands he's got his mind wrapped around what it is to have gain. To be the winner. And it's not the same mindset that we see in the last five verses of chapter 4 of James or the first six verses of chapter 5. He says for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, but if I live in the flesh... This is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not. Now that doesn't mean, listen to me now, I wot not means what is to know. W-O-T means to know. 
So he is saying here, for me to live is Christ and die is gain, but if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose I know not. That's what he's saying. He doesn't, he doesn't know. For I am in a strait betwixt two. What's this, what's this situation that Paul's in? It says, for having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Who's it far better for? Him. The only person that gains from this happening is Paul. To live is Christ, to die is gain. To live is Christ is to sacrifice like Brother Shane was talking about this morning in his devotion. To live is, as Christ is to give of yourself for the benefit and the cause of someone else. And Paul was in a straight betwixt two, understanding that there was a need for him to be in the flesh. But he had the desire to leave the flesh and be with the Father, to be with the Lord Jesus Christ, his Savior, who died for him, understanding that it'd be far better for him to be in the presence of the Lord than to be on this earth. And there's a lot of people that don't feel that way about it. They'd rather not be in the presence of the Lord and stay right here on this earth. But to live is Christ, which means to live is to put on the same mentality that Christ did and come for the benefit and cause of someone else, but to die is gain. It says, for I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. So it would be better for, for Paul to be with Christ, but it'd be better for the lost and dying world and for the church for Paul to stay. Why? Because Paul was so great? No, because Paul understood what his duty was on this earth. All right, but here's what I want you to see. We understand here that uh, the, the central theme being that of faith and understanding that there will be a trying of faith, especially we find it all through uh, the epistle of James. Here's what I want you to see. Chapter number 5 the Bible says here, verse number 7, be patient therefore. Now, it's interesting because we found over here in chapter 1, verse 3, verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire Wanting nothing. Now we find here in chapter number 5, verse number 7, be patient, therefore. What's that mean? Why the ch sudden change of gears? Because he's dealing with a people that were not that far removed from the time that Christ left his earthly ministry and ascended into heaven. And they're getting all these, these words and all this knowledge about what it's going to, take to live the Christian life and they like Paul understand something you've got this crowd that understands that they want to be rich and have what the world can give them but then there's this other crowd that understands that it's to live as Christ but to die as gain and so they just desire brother Shane to go on and be with the Lord and for, the, for Jesus to come back because he promised when he left he was coming back he promised when he ascended into heaven that he would come back and get the church and the church is being established and these are desiring that Christ would come and take them and, and, and put them with him. 
Because to live is Christ and to die is gain. But James has this to say. Be patient. Just be patient, therefore. What are they being patient about? Be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. They were ready for Christ to come. They were looking for him now. And I, I think about this because I, I catch myself sometimes quoting uh, the latter part of Revelation 22 and 20 when the Bible says, He which testified these things says, Surely I come quickly, amen, even so come Lord Jesus. And as we see this world falling to shambles and going down a rat hole, if you will, and times are getting troublesome, and, and we see it, I don't know if you do, and you're crazy if you don't, we're on the edge of persecution. We are on the edge, and should the Lord tarry his coming much longer, we will see the day in the Baptist church where we will be persecuted for the things in which we stand on. It's not a I think so, it's not a maybe so, it's a fact, Jack, and you better get ready for it because it's coming. There will be a day in my lifetime, if the Lord does not t- take me out of here, and if he tells his coming, I'll see persecution. It's going to happen. And so we get to the place where we're like, I really don't want that to happen. My wife and I, we talk and sometimes we say, wouldn't it be just good if the Lord come back and we could all just go together? We could all just leave out of here and go together. But you know what I forget sometimes, Brother Shane? To live is Christ, but to die is gain. And so here's what I want you to see. We talk so much about getting our head wrapped around this idea of not letting our riches control us. Then on Sunday night, you know, the preacher comes back in here and he starts back up again. And, and you, you feel like that preacher, maybe he's a broken record. I've got this under control. I'm not letting my riches control me. I wish he'd quit harping on that. My mind's right. Well, then here's the other part of it. To have it figured out and to have it right in your mind and to know that the riches of this world is not what should control us or where we get our happiness, then we got to stop and think what does control us. To live is Christ, to die is gain. And sometimes because our mind's right and, and we don't want the things of this world and know that we're citizens of another country, then we have the attitude that we just like to die, uh, or the Lord, excuse me, to come back and grab the church and take us home and we can all live with Jesus and be happy. That's our mindset, but we're still missing one part there. To live is Christ. To live is Christ. To live is Christ. And so here's what I want you to see. We have this mindset uh, the Bible says, surely I come quickly, amen, even so come Lord Jesus. And that's what we, 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 we rely on that and we wait on that and we talk about it and we want the Lord to come and take the church. And I'm thankful that we can trust the word of God and believe his word. And Hebrews 10, 37 says, for yet a little while and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. So when the Lord looks at Christ and says, go get your bride, he's leaving out and he ain't gonna waste no time or let any grass grow under his feet. He'll be coming for the church and it'll happen at the snap of a finger. And I thank the Lord for that. But be patient. James is talking about the trying of faith. He's talking about faith, 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 Faith and the trying of it and the trying of it and the trying of it all through the scripture. They've got the mindset, even so come Lord Jesus. And then he says, 
but be patient. And boy, that's a hard thing to do. I'm not a patient person. I'm just going to be honest. My wife knows it better than all you all put together. I'm not a patient individual. I get something on my mind and I get a one-track mind and I'll do it and get it done till I die. I'm that way. I hate to start a project and know that I have to walk away from it because it drives me nuts until I get it done. I can't stand for something to be half finished for a long period of time. And it actually makes me ill. I mean, it frustrates me. It puts me in a bad mood. I got to, it just, my mentality is to get it finished. But the Bible says be patient. Be patient. Be patient. Why? Well, here's what I want us to notice concerning the idea of being patient. Romans chapter number five, the Bible says in verse number one, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now listen closely here. Verse 3 of Romans 5. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. What was it James warned here in chapter 1? My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But he warns them here. But let patience have her perfect Work. We're going to look tonight on what it is to let patience have her perfect work. There is, a, there is a work that's being done while we are having to be patient. And I want to look at that. It says, but let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now, now pay a close attention to how this is worded. But let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect. Patience is perfecting you and me. For what cause? Something that's perfect and wasn't perfect had to have the imperfections worked out of them. Notice that. Now that doesn't mean that we're perfect in the sense that you and I are are sinless perfection But it means that what the Lord's trying to do in us, He's perfecting it through patience. And patience comes from tribulation and trials. So as we notice here in verse 3 of Romans, chapter 5 says, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. And patience, experience. And experience, hope. Do you know that we like to talk about hope and we like to talk about faith as born-again believers? And I'll say this, it took faith, childlike faith, for an individual to get saved. But even in childlike faith, believing that Jesus Christ is the only name to heaven and the only way to heaven, and there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, a child still has to learn what it is to have faith in Jesus to lead God and direct them in a world in which we live in today. When you get saved by the grace of God, you do not understand everything about what it is to follow Jesus. 
You understood you needed to follow Jesus. You understood that you had to call on Jesus. You understood you had to take sides with Jesus against yourself. But honestly today, friend, you knew that you needed him, but you don't really know how to follow him. So you have to learn. And you have to grow. And so we talk about hope and we talk about faith. But how do you have hope and have faith? It has to be tried. Do you know why when I get up in the morning and hit the switch on my car that I think it's going to get me to work? Because it has every morning since I bought it. And now, Jesus won't never let you down. That car will eventually. But I have faith in the morning it's going to start because it always has. And so here's what I'm getting at. Not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Why is it that Paul, who, who we understand told the, the church at Philippi to live as Christ but to die as gain, why does he glory in tribulations? Why does he tell the, the, the church that the church should glory in tribulation? Because the Bible says knowing. We glory in tribulation because we know something about tribulation. With tribulation comes patience. Now, I was always told as a child not to pay, pray for patience because God will give you, he will work on you with patience. But here's what I want you to see, that tribulation worketh patience, but patience brings something else to the table. It brings experience. And do you know what a lot of young, born-again believers that's just been saved by the grace of God are lacking? Experience. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. And faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, right? And so we understand that the word of God does what? The Bible says, study to show yourself approved, a workman unto God, which needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It brings knowledge. We're to grow in grace and knowledge. So the thing about knowledge is, reading God's word will give you the knowledge. But then we talk constantly about applying the scripture. My wife can buy me a bar of soap, but unless I use that thing by the end of the week, I'm stinking. You have to make application with it. And the word of God is great, and it's quick, and it's powerful, and it will clean your life up. But you'll have to wash in it. You'll have to use it. You'll have to make application with it. And so faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But James, what does good old James say? The one that tries and talks about the, talks about the trying of faith. When James wrote this epistle, he made sure to put it in the first chapter that we're not to be hearers of the word only, but doers. In other words, we make application with the word that brings the faith. Does the word just alone bring faith? When I apply the word, and I understand that when I apply the word that tribulation worketh, does tribulation cause one to get in the word of God? If you're a born again believer and you're going through trials and tribulations, I assure you, you're looking for God to help you. And so tribulation does something. It causes you to get in the word. And the word is a faith building word. And you, you have to take the word and apply it because you have nothing else to lean on suddenly. Suddenly no one else can help you. Suddenly no one else can take care of your problem. Suddenly your riches do nothing for you anymore. You need God. So you get in God's word and you read God's word and you have to make application with it because nothing else can help you. My $100 that might be in my pocket don't help me unless I spend it. And, but I, we're not relying on riches. Now we're reading God's word. And through tribulation, we're going through God's word and we're begging God for help and we're saying, Lord, we, I need you. 
Then here's what happens. I make application with the word. And because I'm not just a hearer only, but I'm a doer of the word, then what happens is tribulation worketh patience and patience worketh experience. And now the faith that I am building is coming through the word of God because I made application with the word of God and now the Lord through tribulation is able to teach me something that he wants me to know. This life that we live in, the tribulations come as a learning tool to help us. They, come, it, they show up in our life to teach us something about the Lord. And so uh, he says here, but be patient therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. Endure what's coming down the road because it's for a reason. And it will teach you something. Have you ever noticed sometimes when people get into a problem or into a trial, they want to quit church and quit on God? They can only serve God when things are going well. Do you know why? Because they're superficial Christians who will not take the word of God and apply it to their life. For it's in those times when the Lord's trying to teach you something. Anybody can say God is good when they're running the mountaintops. But when you get down in the valleys, Brother Gene, can you still say God is good? Can you? Of course you can. God's always been good. God's wanting to teach something. And so here's what I want to say. These people that say, oh, just, I don't have any hope. I don't have any hope. They've never allowed God to teach them what hope is. Hope isn't superficial. Let me tell you what, how people have perverted the word hope in the, in the land in which we live in today all across the world, as a matter of fact. Hope is not chance. Hope is not Brother Shane getting up in the morning and going to Weigel's and buying a Lucky 7 and scratching it off with a a penny and hoping that he wins some money. That's not hoping, that's stupidity. And so what I'm saying to you is that's not hope, but that's how mankind defines hope. It's a wish, not hope. Wishing and hoping isn't the same thing. Wishing isn't faith. Hope is not chance. Hope is not luck. But hope is confidence. Listen now. The highest degree of well-founded expectation. Do you know why my hope means more to me than a lot of other people's hope does? Because it's founded on a well-founded expectation. Do you know why I have hope? Do you know why Paul said, if in this life only I have hope of all men, be most miserable? Because Paul went through some tribulations. Paul went through some trials. And Paul was recollecting them because he's saying that tribulation worketh patience. Paul has had to learn how to be a patient man. But then Paul is saying, but patience has worked experience. You know, I think about all that Paul went through. Do you know Paul was a man that his flesh, Brother Gene, wore some scars because of what he'd done for the Lord. And when you looked at Paul's back, Brother, uh, Brother Gene, you seen experience. There was some experience. Do you know why a lot of people don't have any hope today? Because they've not got any scars. They've not gone through some things. 
But you know why I have hope this evening? Because I have had to go through some trials and some tribulations where I leaned upon the Lord. And those trials and those tribulations, they worked patience and then patience experience. And I, this evening, have experienced the mighty hand of God in my life. And so when I say that I have hope, I have confidence. Why? Because it is the highest degree of well-founded expectation. So faith, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is the substance of a well-founded expectation. And what I want you to see is, if I could, if I am able to get this out, when we look at faith and we consider Abraham, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. We find Abraham in the great hall of faith. And then I want you to notice what the book of Hebrews says in chapter 6. The Bible says, uh, For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. And what the writer is saying here, by example, is if Shane was calling into question whether what I was saying to him was truth, and he was having a hard time swallowing what it was that I was saying to him as truth, I, I would not, be, not, not get defensive and say something like, well, I swear on my children's life, Brother Shane, that's the truth. Or I, I swear on your daddy's life. We try to swear by something that's greater than we are to emphasize that what we're saying is truth. And so what, what we find here is is. The writer says, For men verily swear by the greater an oath for confirmation is them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the uh, uh, immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. You know that Jesus, God had already told Abraham that he promised him to be the father uh, of, of, of many nations and that he would have offspring innumerable that you couldn't even count them by the, by the sands of the sea. Sure. But to back up what God said to him, is God a liar? No, God cannot lie. But God, listen to me now, you need to grasp this tonight. God wanted so bad for Abraham to understand that he could believe what he said, that he made him an oath. He not only told him the truth to begin with, but he backed it up by an oath. Because he wanted Abraham never to doubt that what God had told him was the truth. And can I say to you tonight, God doesn't want us to doubt that we have a hope in him. A well-founded expectation. And so he does things in our life to show us and to build our faith and to build our trust so that you and I, in the wee hours of the night, when nobody understands what we're going through, we can look towards heaven and say, Lord, I still trust you. Lord, I still believe in you. Lord, I still know that you'll never leave me. Why? Because of what you've done for me already. Because he's done some things. What things has he done? Well, he's brought some allowed tribulation to come into our life. And that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience. And with that experience, we have hope. 
And I have hope where others maybe don't have hope or, or understand the hope because I've experienced it through tribulation. Can I say to you, God's doing something. He's working in us. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work. You're, the tribulations is doing something in your life. And if you allow the patience, or if you allow the tribulation, let patience have a perfect work that you may be perfect and entire wanting nothing. If you'll let uh, the trying of your faith work the patience in you. Let the patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect. He's perfecting you and I through allowing the, the, the trying of our faith to work patience in us. And it's doing something. And it's teaching us something that we need to grab a hold of. But notice this. Hebrews 6 and 18 says that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Notice that. By two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. In other words, he's saying this. My word is truth and always was truth. But I backed it up with an oath to further verify that even though he had to swear by his own name because there was none greater, he swore an oath to further emphasize what it was that he wanted Abraham to see. And you and I today can still take God's word and God's book and God's truth to the bank because he has proven it time and time and time again. But I like this. He says, uh, for it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Do you know what he's doing when he's working patience in us? He's setting hope before us. He's teaching us and showing us the true definition of hope and faith. And hope isn't a shot in the dark, and hope isn't luck, but hope is a well-founded expectation that you and I know and see through the work of the patience because of the tribulations and trials that we go through. But notice this, and I'm done tonight. It says which hope we have. Why do we have hope? Why did Abraham have hope? Because God reemphasized it to him. That what he said to him was truth and he could not lie. And you and I are learning hope and faith because God's reemphasizing to us that he's there. And he's teaching us that we can trust him. He's teaching us that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. So here's what I want you to see. The tribulations is the storm. I hope you're getting this. The tribulation is the storm. The trials is the waves rocking the boat. And you're having to be patient in the storm with nowhere to go. But then you experience the hand of God in your storm and in your trial. 
And as you experience God in the storms of your trials, you have hope. He teaches you hope, a well-founded expectation that while you're going through this storm, that last storm you was going in, he helped you through it too. And then this hope that he has set before us is an anchor. Which hope we have is an anchor of the soul. So the very thing that brought the storm is teaching us that we can trust Jesus to anchor the ship and keep the wind from taking off with us and removing us from his hands and from his care. And that's hope today, friend. That's a well-founded expectation. I'm glad that sometimes, see, sometimes all we see is the storm. But if we'll experience the storms and wait on God and be patient, we'll realize that it's in the storms that it's that hope that anchors us and keeps us from allowing the storm to take off with us and destroy us. I'm glad for the anchor that I have I'm glad for the hope that I have in him tonight that no matter what happens to me, I can trust the Lord. The Lord is teaching me and showing me through experience. And because of that, friend, we know that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope. And hope maketh not a shame because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us for when we were yet without strength. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. I want you to understand, friend, it was not our strength that saved us. And it's not our strength that keeps us saved. And it's not our strength that gets us through this walk of life. And we're not to put our hope and faith in our riches. We're to put our hope and faith in the Lord. And we understand to live as Christ and to die as gain. But as long as we're here, we're going to have to live like Christ. But we can have hope. We can have faith and we can stay anchored and not have to worry. You know, I love that because I see so many people, Brother Gene, that's allowed the winds of this life to blow them to and fro. There's people tonight that's not in God's house. There's people tonight that's gone through some things and they've quit on God. There's some people tonight that ought to be here, but they're somewhere else. And you know what's happening? The storms of life have blown them around but I've got an anchor. I've got something that keeps me steadfast and unmovable. And it's allowing the patience to work in my life and teach me something so that it can perfect me. The patience is working in us for a reason. And the Lord is perfecting us. That means he's wanting to show us his perfect will, his perfect love, And to know that no matter who lets us down or what happens, we can trust him through all things. I'm done tonight. Let's all stand to our feet.